You know, it's funny how you hear different words in different places. Uh, you might hear it on the television, for instance. It's one that's always kind of bothered me was that I will see a car commercial. There'd be a lady with a, a dog and two uh, well-behaved children in the back seat. They're driving along at the bottom of the screen. It says, professional driver, do not attempt close course. How difficult can it be to drive two kids and a dog? That you have to be a professional driver to do that. And where do you go to professional driver school anyway? Did the dog have to go? And if they want me to buy that car, why is it they're saying, don't do this? That, that's always bothered me. Now, there's another thing that's always bothered me. I heard this the other day on the radio. They were asking me to buy this particular product and the man on there said, well, I bought it and I'm doing great now. I'm not getting any younger. How many of you are getting any younger? I look in the mirror every day and I go, oh, are you kidding me? I'm certainly not getting any younger. Why do they say silly things like that? You know, I think at church we have funny words too. We have funny phrases. Um, for example, one that's always killed me is the narthex. Does anybody know where the narthex is? It's actually the lobby. But narthex, it sounds like something you had removed that's next to your uh, gallbladder. He had his narthex removed, and now he's doing great. Another word that just, I can't believe we use it in church on occasion, it's other churches, I've seen it lots of time, is the word sexton. Now, your brain goes somewhere else with that, but all it is is a janitor. Why don't they just call it a janitor? So we have this little language that we kind of develop on our own at churches. This is churches everywhere, not just here, everywhere. For example, I saw uh, getting ready to come to church a couple weeks ago. I was going to watch the weather, and I turned it on. There happened to be a very famous TV preacher on. And he stood up before this huge congregation, and he said, Open to Psalm 100. Now, many of you would know exactly where that is and what to do. What about those people who don't understand that? What in the world is a psalm? And why in the world is there a hundred of them, at least? And what does that mean? Where do I find that? But he just kept on preaching as though people knew exactly where to go. And that always bothers me. Because we have developed a language of our own at church. Now today, I want to do something that I have never ever done before. I want to talk to a very small group of people. Usually I think in my mind, okay, it's going to be this many people or possibly more, maybe a few less. I'm going to talk to a small group of people. I'm going to talk to those folks of you who are maybe here for the first time, maybe have not been to church in a long time, maybe didn't grow up in the church, but you don't understand that language. And I'm not going to embarrass you by singling you out at all, but you know which group you fit into. Now at church, again, every church, we expect you to know the Bible. It's, that's wrong. We should not expect that. Now, we do teach it, and a lot of people do know it very well, but not everybody does. We expect you to, know, to be able to find what we are talking about. We say, open your Bible to, or turn to, exact, uh, particular uh, areas. Now, I have been told that I will offend Christians who know where these verses are when I say, open to. I don't think that's true. I think you understand that not everybody knows what you know and not, maybe not be able to find what we're looking for. So if I say something that offends you, please know that I'm, I'm talking to that very small group of people. 
And, and have you ever asked for directions? You know, people, I love directions. They say, well, you go down here, you go to the big tree, you turn right, you go down to where Mabel lives, and it's just past that, you can't miss it. Well, which big tree, and who is Mabel, and I don't even know where she lives anyway. But that's how they give directions. So I want to be able, to, I want to be very clear this morning. Again, I want to talk to that small group of people, and I want to use words and define words that you may not understand. I want to give you a definition for those sorts of things. Now, we've said, I've said the word several times, the Bible. Well, how do I know it's true? Now, I don't have time to do all these kinds of things that we could normally do to talk about that. But, but people say, well, how do you know that it's true? And isn't the Bible full of errors? Isn't it full of contradictions? Well, to that, I think and I say, really humbly, show me. Where are those errors? Where are those contradictions? Now, yes, there are things that I don't understand about the Bible. There are also things I don't understand about medicine. The doctor told me one time, you've got to go and you've got to have this surgery. And I thought to myself, how in the world are they going to do that? But I didn't say, well, I'm not going to follow it. I'm not going to follow his recommendation. I had the surgery. Everything went fine. I didn't understand it. But I did, that doesn't mean that it didn't affect me. Now, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. Think about that. 1,500 years. There were over 40 different authors. And most of those did not know one another. They, didn't, they did not know other people. They did not know the other people who were writing the Bible. And yet, incredibly, it's one central theme. One central theme about the Bible among people who did not know one another, lived before or after other people. They wrote in different kind of language. In other words, I'm saying um, they wrote and one person was writing poetry, another person was writing a story. One was chronicling events. And yet it all comes together with one central theme. And that one central theme is God wants to have a relationship with you. There are 66 different books in the Bible, and there's one theme. God wants to know you personally. Wants to know your name. Wants to know who you are. And that's why the Bible was written. We use words in church a lot of times that many people may not understand. We use the word sin. Well, a brief definition of this is that it's things that we should not do that we do, or things that we should do that we should not do. Now, that doesn't encompass everything, but it's a very brief definition. We talk about a passage of Scripture. That's just some verses in the Bible. So a group of words that we may get to God into the Bible. We talk about baptism. We see baptism. Why does that happen? We talk about heaven. Uh, I heard the other day somebody used the term that I hadn't heard in a long time, get right with God. What in the world does that mean? We also talk about eternal life, and we talk about being saved. What do those things mean? That's why we're here this morning. Now, here's my fear. And I've had this fear for a long time. My fear is that people will substitute things, actions, or thinking, thinking that what, that is what God wants. In other words, if I just think it in my head, if I do these things, I will get heaven as a reward, or God will like me better. And what you're really saying in the bottom line is, if I am just good enough... I'll go to heaven. If I'm just good enough, if I just don't do enough bad things, and if I do enough good things, then God's going to say, come on in, Bob. Now, suppose I'm standing in a line of 100 people, and number one is the very best person there, and number 100 is the very worst person there. 
and I'm number 72 in the line. Where does the line cut off? Is 70 good enough? Maybe it cuts off at 75. Maybe it cuts off way up there at number 10. So if you're standing in line thinking that, okay, if all I, all I have to be is just good enough, then I'm going to be able to be okay. There was a group of people several hundred, a couple thousand years ago at least, who had the same kind of thinking. And they thought, well, let me tell you this first. There was a place outside of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. And it was a place that we, we actually have the same kind of places today, only a little bit different. It was a trash dump. They would take all of their trash and they would throw it into this particular place. And fire would literally burn there all the time because they burned it because they wanted to get rid of the smell of the trash. And they said that the birds would come down and eat garbage and all kinds of terrible things there. The Valley of Hinnom, there was a group of people and they would take their children there and they would kill children as a sacrifice to their God. Incredible. And you think nobody would do that today, and yes, sadly, that's still true in some areas of the world. But we think, well, wait a minute, I'm, I would never do that. And no, I, I wouldn't expect anybody here to do that. But again, here's what scares me. We substitute our own ideas for what we think God wants, hoping to buy our way into heaven. Let me say that again. We substitute what we think God wants in order to buy our way into a right relationship, in order to buy our way into His good graces, in order to buy our way so that He won't hate us. And it's the same thing because that's what those people were doing thousands of years ago when they sacrificed children. They were trying to please God. And I want to read you this verse in Jeremiah 32, 35. It's in your bulletin if you have that. It's tough to get to these places real quick. There are so many verses I have this morning that I put that in the bulletin there for you. But Jeremiah 32, 35, it says, They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind. God said, I never thought of that. What in the world are you people thinking? Why did you think that I said anything about that? Because, and, and I'm giving to God my, my own thinking here. What in the world are you people thinking? And as horrible as that is, you and I often will substitute certain things because we think of those sacrifices or those offerings. We think, well, God's going to take those things. They were trusting in themselves for their own salvation. They were trusting in the things that they did, the things that they thought. They said, God is going to accept this. And what they were doing was diverting their attention from God, thinking this is what He wants. Now, in another part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14 Again, in your bulletin, it says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. God said, I hate that stuff. I absolutely hate 
that you are substituting these events for worship for me. So what does God want? How do we know? Well, I've already said to you that He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you personally, not just as something out there somewhere. Okay, I know all these people. I created them. Yeah, okay, they're a big blob out there. He wants to know you personally. wants to know your name, and He does. And He wants to know all about you, and He wants you to know all about Him. And that's why He gave us the Bible. But look at this as we go on. There was one day where Jesus had been asked to go to heal a little sick girl, very sick girl. And as he's walking to where he needed to go, there was a crowd around him. There was always a crowd around, of people around Jesus. Everywhere he went at this time in his ministry, everywhere he went, there was a crowd of people. So I can't imagine that this event took place. But as he's walking there, there was a, a group of people, and all of a sudden Jesus turned and said to one lady, or, or said to the crowd, who touched me? Now, he knew who it was. He said, who touched me? And there was one lady there who had been sick for years. The Bible says that she would spent all kinds of dollars on doctors and nobody could help her. But she in her thinking said, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him, just not even him, just his clothes, I'll be healed. And so Jesus turned and he said, who touched me? And she says, I did. And look at this verse in your bulletin, Matthew 9, 22. Jesus, seeing her, said, take heart, daughter. Listen to this word, your faith, F-A-I-T-H, your faith has made you well. Now stop for just a second. I use that term, Matthew 9, 22. Who in the world knows where that is? Well, in the Bible, as I said, 66 books. That's in the New Testament. If you divided it up, it's maybe two-thirds Old Testament and one-third New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 22. Why do they do that? Did you know that it wasn't until the 1300s that they even put the numbers in? Because, again, 66 books. How in the world do I tell you to turn to this book? I say... Turn this page, one, two, three, four, five. And we've got different books, different Bibles, so different pages. So somebody said, let's do it this way. Let's do a chapter and let's do a verse. And that way we can find things. And so that's what Matthew is. He's one of the writers of the, Old, or the New Testament. And he, said, and, and he said this about Jesus. When Jesus talked with the lady, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, faith, that's another word we hear in church. What does it mean? It means trust. That's all it means. It means trust. T-R-U-S-T, trust. He says, your faith or your trust in me has made you well. And she went away and she was well. But now Jesus is still on his way to see this little girl who's very sick. And he'd been asked to come see her. And I can't imagine there's still this crowd that's that's walking with him in front of him. and And he finds this little girl... Uh, He's going to find this little girl. And the Bible says that while he was still walking along the way, if you're there in 922, look at 935. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
but overhearing Jesus overheard them what they said or uh, overheard what they said Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue don't fear only believe in other words don't be afraid just trust me now the little girl's dead somebody comes to Jesus and says doesn't matter anymore she's died and Jesus says don't be afraid I love that phrase don't be afraid only believe only trust now Jesus heals the little girl and she was made well Jesus again in Luke chapter 17 19 again in your bulletin Jesus is going to heal a leper Michael spoke about lepers several weeks ago a terrible disease and he said to the leper Jesus said to the leper rise up and go your way your faith f-i-a-f-a-i-t-h your faith has made you well remember that word that is a key word as Jesus is going along in Luke chapter 18, 1842, there is a blind man who asked Jesus to heal him. And it says in verse 42, Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith, F-A-I-T-H, your faith has made you well. In Luke chapter 7, verse 6, There was a man who, again, had called on Jesus because his servant was very sick. And Jesus is going to this man's house. And an incredible thing happens. In, in verse 6, it says, And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to come under your for you, to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Just like in the verse before. Here's a person that's sick, and they call for Jesus, and yet this centurion, meaning he was a man over hundred, at least 100 people, said, you don't need to come to my house. If you'll just say the word my servant will be healed and look what Jesus tells him in Luke chapter 7 verse 9 I tell you not even in Israel have I found such faith faith I've never seen faith like this before says Jesus to this man yes the servant was healed so in a few verses Faith, 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 faith. F-A-I-T-H. Faith made the difference. Now here's why we're talking about all of this this morning. We talked earlier about being saved. About having a right relationship. Or about getting right with God. Or about going to heaven. And what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about those words that we sometimes don't quite understand or that we may use in a context that not everybody gets? But I want it to be very clear this morning. There's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. And again, this verse is in your 
um, bulletin, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. One of, a tremendous verse in the Bible because it is so packed full of the things that you and I need to know. This verse says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works. Three words in there I want you to see. I want you to know. If, if you don't hear anything else, if, if you just now, okay, this, this guy is going to talk for a little while, and I haven't been listening. Listen right now, and then I can lose you again here in just a minute. But listen right now. This is so important. This matters. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works. Grace. What in the world does that mean? That's what people say before a prayer, or say before they eat dinner sometimes. Or it may be a lady's name. I know some graces, they're fine people. But grace here means you and I don't deserve it. We don't deserve God's favor. Because the Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have done those things that we shouldn't do. And we shouldn't do those things that we should have done. We've sinned. So we don't deserve it. And here's that word again. You have been saved through faith. Now they were talking past tense because they're talking about a bunch of... uh, They were talking to believers already. But here... I'm using this verse for those of you that have never been saved, that you are saved, you get a right relationship with God, you go to heaven, you become the person that God wants to know by having faith. You don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but when we have faith, the Bible says that it's not of our own doing. You get it? You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things. In order to earn heaven, you can't do enough bad things in order to go to hell. The Bible says it's the gift of God. A right relationship is a gift of God. And it is, it is through faith. And it says it's the gift of God. A gift. You cannot earn it. People give you things all the time that they give it because they love you. You didn't earn it. A gift is something that people give to one another. God gives to us gifts, not because we deserve it, but because it's free. You can't be good enough. You can't be bad enough to affect heaven. It's simply because Jesus has died on the cross. He has given us a free gift. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It just simply means to pray. Well, I don't know how to pray. You don't have to pray. You, you, uh, and, and those terms where we've heard people, people pray. One of my favorites. I don't even remember how it starts. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and us to thy service. Doesn't that sound so important? You don't have to sound important when you pray. You talk to God just like you talk to anybody else. You talk to him in that normal, natural voice. He understands you. And that's how you call on the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that when you do that, you will be saved. You will have eternal life You'll, for the rest of eternity. And we'll talk about that word eternal life in just a second. If there is a verse in all of the Bible what, that to me is the summation of the Bible... You know, giving the Bible in one sentence. 
It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. I'll get to that word in a minute. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Now perish means spiritual death. You and I are all going to die physically. There's no getting out of that. But yes, you can live forever spiritually. And that's what John 3.16 is. It says, whoever believes in his son, in God's son, can have eternal life. Now you'll st- still will face spirit, you, you will still face physical death, but you will not sp- face spiritual death when you trust in him. There's another verse, Mark 12.33. I don't think that's in your your booklet or in your bulletin there. And God is saying, or somebody asked Jesus, you know, how how are we supposed to live? And he told them this verse, he says, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as yourself. And listen to this very last part of that. It says, much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Do you get it? This is where Jesus is saying, I don't care about that stuff you do for me. I don't care about those things where you're substituting things for knowing me personally, for calling on me and asking my son to save you from your sins. That's what I care about. The burnt offerings and the sacrifices don't mean anything. And what so bothers me at church is that many people see that if they do these things... If they do these little religious rituals, then God's going to give them favor and grant them heaven. And God's going to like them more than he ever did before. And it's just not true. We read over and over and over and over and over again that it's by faith we are saved. By faith. Now, since the beginning of time... Since Adam and Eve, we have always wanted to define the way that we live based on our own thinking. Now that led to idol worship. There were people who would literally build little bitty gods or even big gods. And okay, here are your gods. Bow down and worship these little things. Now you and I don't do that as much anymore, although that still happens. But there are other things that you and I will bow down to and worship. Because we place so much trust in those things. And those things mean nothing. The Bible says it's by faith we are saved. By faith we are saved. It's by grace. We didn't deserve it. And it's the gift of God. He just gave it to us. Over and over again the Bible tells about how he tried to reach people. He tried this and it didn't work. He tried this and it doesn't work. And he tried this and it didn't work. And then he said, I know what, I'll send my son. But how do I know all this is true? I mean, it's, it's just it's an amazing story that there's this God out there somewhere that we've never really seen. I mean, we've read about what people say is his word in his book. But still, there, there's that little bit of doubt out there that maybe this is all a a big made-up thing. The communists called religion the opiate of the people. In other words, something to just occupy their minds and make them not think. 
Some people call the Bible God's Word. Some people call what we're doing here right now, that's eh, just a crutch. It's just something to give these people something to do. There's really no such thing. The Bible's a hoax. It's a made-up story. Well, here's what I read several years ago. It takes as much faith, F-A-I-T-H, much faith to believe that this is a lie or a hoax or a made-up story. It takes that much faith also to think that this is not real as it does to believe that this is true, that this is real. I go for the real. How do I know? I accept it on faith, but I look at history and look at the thousands, the millions of people who have followed God. I look at the story of the Bible and how 1500, over 1,500 years, 40 different authors made this book, we call it. It's a collection of books. And I think, how in the world did that all happen and it's just a joke? Maybe one person could have done that, but not 40 different authors. I, I choose to believe that this is real. I choose to have faith. For that small group of people that I said I was talking to this morning, if you have never chosen the gift of salvation, remember it's free, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't be good enough, you can't be bad enough, you simply choose it. I'm going to ask you if you're going to receive the gift of eternal life with God. Now you might say, and I've heard people say this, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to walk down to the front of this place and do I need to talk to somebody? No. You don't have to. There's nothing saving about walking down this aisle and talking with me or any of these other people that will be here. There's nothing in that will save you. We're there if you want to ask a question or if you just want somebody to know that, hey, I'm serious about this. Well, am I, am I going to be joining the church? No. Now, you can. That's one of the steps that we have toward joining the church, but we'll talk about that later. Well, will I have to be baptized? Are they going to put me in that water over there? No, but we'll talk about that later also. There is nothing that you have to do, nothing that you can do, short of saying to Jesus, I want to accept you as my Savior. And in just a minute, we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. Folks, I like simple, I like clear. One of the greatest compliments somebody ever gave me is, you know, I like it when you so speak, it's, when you speak, it's just so clear. It's just so simple. Greatest compliment I could ever have. And one day, several months ago, he's not even here anymore, a little kid came up to, came up to me and says, I like it when you speak. Those other people, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and his mom's going, no, sh sh no, no. <laughs> but I loved it. I want little kids to understand. I want people who have been here forever to know this is why they have eternal life. Not because they come to church, pray, do good things, give to church. I want us all to know it's because we 
have asked Jesus to be our Savior. I want it to be so simple. Let's pray together.